This is JFF Apprenticeship by the State, Joseph Hollins, the former State Apprenticeship Director of Louisiana. We will talk to State Apprenticeship Directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start a registered apprenticeship program in your community. Today we go to North Carolina with Catherine Castellas, the State Director of Apprenticeship there. Catherine, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Joseph. It's good to hear from you. Great hearing from you too, Catherine. And so I've introduced you a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about the registered apprenticeship system in North Carolina? What agency is the Office of Apprenticeship in? And what is you all's basic structure? We know that most apprenticeship divisions have a apprenticeship director and ATR, but recently, you know, there's been new outreach positions and all those things. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your staff structure? Sure, I'll be happy to. Basically, we are currently housed in the North Carolina Community College system. And I say currently because we've only been there since uh, around November 2017. Prior to that, we were with, we were housed within the North Carolina Department of Commerce, and prior to that was the North Carolina Department of Labor. All that's happened within the last 10 years. But I think we've truly found a good home with the community college system, and basically we have, uh, you know, 58 local community colleges as partners, so that's really helped us a lot. But our structure is we have the apprenticeship director, which is myself. And then I have office staff and um, apprenticeship consultants and what we're calling apprenticeship coordinators. And it's a total of 23 counting myself. But some of that, some of the staff are hired through the grants. For example, I have uh, one office staff person that's part-time hired through the grant. I have uh, seven apprenticeship coordinators. They're hired through the grant, and they're just located in different areas of the state. And otherwise, they're, you know, as far as structure, there's myself as a director. I have a supervisor, and then I have apprenticeship consultants. I have eight of those located throughout the state. And we also have a youth apprenticeship manager that is overseeing our youth outreach and development and registering programs for youth across the state. Sounds like you have a lot of staff there. And I know if my memory serves serves me correctly, you kind of have people assigned to regions. And so I'm sure that allows them to develop a good bit of expertise. Yes, that's correct. We, the state's divided up in what we call economic regions, and there are eight of them. So we try to have at least one apprenticeship consultant in each region. And of course, like every state, we've got our hotspot areas which are the metropolitan. And so we have a couple people in uh, three of the metropolitan areas because there's just a lot of interest in apprenticeship there. Catherine, what are some recent highlights of registered apprenticeship in your state, whether that be growth or new industries or new partners? Pretty much all three. We've got uh, (laughs) a lot of new growth. Yeah, I mean, we've got new growth in different areas. Uh, We are reaching out more into IT and healthcare. Uh, CVS is a big employer with us, and we've got a lot of cybersecurity companies. Well, I say a lot. There are like two or three now, but we've got a lot of interest in that area. So our numbers have grown substantially. For North Carolina, we're up to almost 12 
well, over 12,000 active apprentices. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's the most we've had in over 10 years. Uh, I think this time back in 2016, we're under 5,000. So there's a, a huge growth in registered apprenticeship, which has been wonderful. And, of course, the new industries that are coming on, like uh, cybersecurity and healthcare, you know, having the pharmacy tech. We've got uh, the UNC healthcare system that just recently registered. We've got other hospitals that we're in conversations with. So we've, we're branching out into new industries. So I like that because other people are seeing that apprenticeship is really in every occupation to a certain extent. You have some training involved on the job and some formalized training in the middle, you know, for the most part for every occupation to a certain degree. And our new partners, we are establishing stronger relationships with the Workforce Development Board. Um, I think we're really growing in that area. We've got a couple of employers that are utilizing WILA and utilizing WILA for uh, participants as apprentices. So in addition to um, some with uh, physical challenges as apprentices, so we're getting into the uh, the disability area as well and utilizing, you know, they still have a, everyone has a skill set. And so it's just uh, finding that skill and utilizing that in the workplace. So it's, it's growing in all areas and we're very excited about that. Well, that growth is outstanding and it, cybersecurity and healthcare is something that I've been hearing a lot of states are trying to do. And so it just must be really a uh, two industries that are susceptible to registered apprenticeship at the given point in time. And so, Catherine, what would you say makes your state and North Carolina stand out from other SAA or OA states? Well, I think as far as our state, the biggest thing that we have that that makes us probably a little bit different than most states, if not every state, is the growth in the and the number of consortia that we have. And the consortia that we have are basically made up of employers. Employers are making their own consortium in their own region throughout the state and coming together to either recruit youth, high school apprentices, adults, both, uh, could include veterans, but they're forming their own partnership, which is really unique because, you know, forever we've heard of how employers are stealing employees from other companies. But here they're coming together with a common need and they're recruiting together. Um, we currently have like, let's see, we have several. The biggest one though has over 30 employers in their consortium. The original consortium is Apprenticeship 2000. It started out with four employers and they have eight, but they're keeping it very concise to just events manufacturing and very small. And then we have another one, Gifford Apprenticeship Program, who has over 30 employers and ranging everything from cyber security to megatronics to construction to just whatever uh, employer wants to be a partner to work with them. And then the other piece to it, I think we're a little bit different, is that um, with our community colleges, being in the community college system, right now, as I mentioned, we have 58 local community colleges in the state. 31 of those are sponsors. So we have a strong uh, relationship there, and that's enabling us to have another voice for registered apprenticeship, another source of outreach, 
another source of customer service for the local employers in that region. So I think that plus having over 13 different consortia in the state, I think that's helping out because you're getting like pockets of different employers, community colleges, all of them working together in different regions. I think that does make you all stand out because I know that a lot of directors struggle to build consortius and, and particularly when you're talking about outside of the trades, you know, to get all these mm, employers who, not, right. who aren't familiar with apprenticeship to come together. So I, I do think that that makes you all to stand out. And I think it kind of leads to our next question. Uh, you know, traditionally, they uh, apprenticeship has been trade unions or trade and non-union joint non-joint programs. But now there's consortia, there are intermediaries, there are community college, there's all these different types of sponsors. And so when someone is interested in starting a RA, a registered apprenticeship program in your state, does it matter uh, what kind of organization is seeking to start? Does everybody start at the same place with your office or do you kind of uh, have different entry points for different types of uh, organizations seeking to be programs? Basically, everybody starts pretty much at the same place. Since we have apprenticeship coordinators and consultants located with it throughout the state, we try to give them that personal one-on-one attention. Now, we have our website, and we have a place on our website that you can go. Like if you're an employer, you want to find out more, you wanted an apprenticeship program, there's a place you can just pop in your initial information and it goes directly to a consultant who can contact you and start developing that process. So, yeah, it, we have all, we, you know, being in North Carolina, we do have one of our, some of our larger programs, our union, mechanical trades. They're uh, very large here. So everyone, you can go to our website. You can find our contact information on the website. You can call me. My information is there. Uh, or you, there's also a map of the state with the contact information. So if you want to call directly to your local person, either in Charlotte or Raleigh, you can click on that information and call directly. And that apprenticeship consultant will help with developing that process and start you from scratch if necessary. So, Catherine, when that person reaches out and they contact your office, can you summarize the registration process for me about How long does it take a company who comes to you and says that we want to do registered apprenticeship? How long does it take for them to register? And then also your apprenticeship council, is it advisory in this process or regulatory? Well, first I'll start off with the easy one. Our apprenticeship council is advisory and it is made up of uh, employers, agencies, education. Uh, There are 13 members and we also have union representation on our council as well. So it is advisory, so they do not have to be involved in the approval process. So when a, when a company is interested in a registered apprenticeship, and, uh, and of course they can call our office directly. I think I mentioned that as well as a consultant, but it, it really depends on the company. You know, if you already know as an employer what your needs are, what the occupations are, and then it's just a matter of, you know, sit down, determine what that training outline is going to be. And as many of those pieces are already put together, uh, it makes it faster. It's just, employers tell me the hardest part is really deciding what do I want my training in? What is that occupation that I want, that I need the most? Or 
occupations for that matter. It can be more than one. And then what do I want that training to look like? And that's why we try to give them a person that they can talk to, that can walk them through that process so that it's not difficult, it's not uh, overwhelming, but our staff are trained to be able to ask those questions of that information. So to answer your question, how long? It can take anywhere from a couple of days, a couple of months, several months. It just depends on how much time the employer wants to put in it to make it the way they want it, how much information that they can give us, and how much information they already have prepared beforehand. And we can work with them and just, uh, it, it really depends on how quickly do you want it. If you want it quickly, we can work with you to do that. Have you done anything as Director Catherine to streamline this process? I've heard other directors talking about getting rid of some of the paper. Have you done anything to oh, streamline yeah. the process? Yeah, we are We are paperless. Everything's electronic. And we just, uh, within the last few months, have incorporated digital signatures. So uh, apprentices can even sign agreements over their phones. And we try to get, you know, signatures on the form. So just for verification. But now that we have digital, it's really very easy. Everything's online. Everything's done electronically. So it's really very much streamlined than it used to be. That's good. Which is very helpful. I'm, I'm sure employers appreciate that. And so when you have an organization that comes to you and they are ready, ready to start a registered apprenticeship program, what would you say most frequently trips up this organization from uh, creating a new program? What is sometimes that, that hanging point that keeps them from going through with the registration process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the most part that I, that I have come across is that part of developing that training plan. For one, it's like, uh, I know what they need to know. And if I don't already have that organized, it's sitting down and organizing it. When you have several other hats that you have going going on, you've got several other responsibilities at work. And to really sit down and focus, for us, that's where we tend to lose them. If we're not there with them to walk them through that process and to formulate that process for them. In other words, we just ask the questions, you answer, you answer, give us the information, and we'll formulate and formalize everything into a document that you can use for your employees. So what we found, what really trips them up is, oh my goodness, I know what they need to know, but for me to sit down and, and put it down on paper and maybe prioritize it, that's the most overwhelming time consuming piece. And I just don't have that. For us, that's where we tend to lose them. And the other piece is just misinformation. We still have a lot of companies that say, oh, we don't want to register apprenticeships because we're not a union. You have to be a union to do that. And we still have some employers that say that. <laughs> so We've all heard it's it. It's like, what? <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. You talked a little bit earlier, Catherine, about all the uh, new and exciting programs you all um, have and how you're kind of getting demographic specific with some veteran uh, initiatives, some youth initiatives. And so I want to talk about youth for a little bit. In North Carolina, do you all do more youth apprenticeship or more of a pre-apprenticeship model or 
some combination of youth and pre-apprenticeship? We actually have both. And we use pre-apprenticeship for youth and adults. So we have a lot of employers that will use uh, registered apprenticeship for students in high school as young as 16. So we have some registered wow. youth apprenticeships that they're, they're in high school. And we also have what's called Career and College Promise, which is, I think every state has that the student can take classes at the community college for free while they're in high school. So a lot of uh, employers are recruiting uh, in high school because, you know, of the talent shortage, the skill shortage. So we have a lot of that. We have a lot, especially with consortium, they are utilizing pre-apprenticeship for like juniors or rising seniors. And they will develop, they'll go out and start recruiting in January for pre-apprentice to begin at graduation, or I'm sorry, at the end of the school year in May, for example. And they will work with that employer during the summer as a pre-apprentice. And the pre-apprentice gets paid, and it gives an opportunity for that pre-apprentice to be with that employer, be in that environment, see if it's something that they want to do, and it gives that employer a chance to see, can this student, can this young person handle this occupation? How do they do at work? How do they interact with the coworkers? Is this environment, this culture going to be a good fit? And at the end of the summer, the employer decides, you know, if they want to have that pre-apprentice to go in into their registered apprenticeship or not. It gives them all an opportunity and it gives the student an opportunity to, you know, maybe at the end of the summer, you know, I'm glad I made some extra money for the summer, but this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I do not want to go back. So it gives them both an opportunity to uh, test drive, if you will, the job and the employer and see if it is a good fit for both. And then they just continue in with their registered apprenticeship in the fall. And for many of them, they're still in high school. So they become a youth apprentice. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of these youth programs you have registered? What are the participating school districts and what are some of the occupations of these youth apprenticeships? Well, we have a lot. We have everything. The occupations uh, range from, we even have some in cybersecurity. We have some in beginning in uh, nursing with CNA. We have some megatronics. We have some um, as a bricklayer. We have some in HVAC, other construction. It's, it's all across the board. And some pockets, we might be a little bit stronger with the youth programs than others across the state, but it varies. Um, we are seeing a huge growth, or we have been, especially this last year, in high school students with the help of our you know, youth manager, in addition to employers trying to recruit more talent, you know, trying to develop that talent pipeline, if you will. So... We have a good relationship with the Department of Public Instruction in North Carolina. We even have uh, developed a statewide with any high school that has the NCTER curriculum that uh, we have with the Masonry Association developed a statewide pre-apprenticeship program. So any high school student can, um, again, same concept, they'll work during the summer. And if they do well and want to stay with it, then they just continue working in as a registered apprentice in the fall. So that's, I think we had like 50, 
five pre-apprentices in that area last summer. Uh, this summer we have several, but not as many as last year. I don't have the final count yet. We just started. So it's still going strong. And they even hired the Masonry Association, hired a person to just work on this. That he goes to each of the schools across the state, recruits students for pre-apprenticeship, registers them as a pre-apprentice, and then when they graduate, if they go to an employer, they're going into that registered apprenticeship. So the Department of Public Instruction is working very closely with us. We're in the process of developing a nursing program, uh, beginning with a CNA, and having that as a recruitment tool for the hospitals across the state as a talent pipeline for some more skilled workers to go into those occupations. I think you bring up a good point about the uh, masonry program and the NCCER curriculum, because traditionally it's kind of been that registered apprenticeship is this department of labor program and it's separate and apart from uh, higher ed or even K-12 education. And so uh, that kind of shows that your office has been working uh, to get some alignment there in between uh, education and registered apprenticeship. And, and could you talk a little bit more about some of the work you have done to really align curriculums and make sure that folks get college credit for their registered apprenticeship time and also folks uh, who have college credit get credit in the registered apprenticeship programs? Yes. And it's interesting because we have, as far as the community colleges right now in that piece, it's even part, it's in the manual. Apprenticeship is listed. there, And the high schools across the state have a code that they can put in as a work-based learning opportunity for that student. So that apprenticeship is registered there. So they get credit for their high school graduation on that piece through the state system. They get a work-based learning credit. And then all of those credentials still carry with them into the registered apprenticeship to the community college. So what classes they have taken, they already have credit for it. So they gain credit from the, the courses. They also are we're in the process of developing credit for their on-the-job training, too, so that they can get that toward their education piece, too, um, in addition to whatever credit they normally get. But that. Yeah, a lot of it has already been implemented because the schools are familiar with it. The Department of Public Instruction is supporting it. So each student in the high school piece gets credit and they're coded as work-based learning and as an apprenticeship. So that information is already being kept electronically with the Department of Public Instruction in addition to our records. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And I think it shows real alignment. Uh, that you all are doing there in North Carolina. And it, and it might be helpful that you all are housed in the uh, community college system to, to bring that alignment there. There is one additional thing that we're, we're in the process of developing pilot sites at two schools. And what we're doing is from the career pathways curriculum and the pathway to employment curriculum that's offered in the community colleges, is taking that out to the schools to let them know that it's there and developing uh, pre-apprenticeship automatically for students who want to participate. And these are students for high school and the community college. So in essence, these pathway to employment courses, which would be like introductory courses in NCCR, it could be uh, preliminary courses for 
manufacturing, or any occupation. We're looking at a whole array of everything from welding, IT, um, manufacturing, uh, hospitality, and others, so that it automatically would be coded as a pre-apprenticeship. And the local community college from their local employers will help us to develop the registered apprenticeship for those students to go either high school to go into it with that employer or the community college. So, Catherine, when you're building these youth apprenticeship programs, do you look for something different in the youth programs as opposed to if someone just wants to build an adult registered apprenticeship program? Do you look for different elements in these youth registered apprenticeship programs? Not necessarily. For this, you know, we're looking for, you know, well, in the conversation with the employer, okay? You're having a conversation. This is their registered apprenticeship. These are the courses. This is the on-the-job training. Now, of course, if they're under the age of 18, there are child labor laws, but uh, the student is exempt from a lot of the non-hazardous occupations. They're exempt from a lot, and they can still be there, be there and in that environment. So, in essence, we look at it as the, uh, this is the training program, whether you're a youth or whether you're an adult. If you're a youth, there still may be some things you're not going to be able to do until you're 18. However, you're going to be working on all those other aspects. You're going to be in that environment. You're going to be able to see and hear what goes on and how things are done. So, it helps prepare that student for when they do have the mature, maturity level and they do have the skill level to move up. So other than that, it's a registered apprenticeship. You may be 18 and in the same course as somebody 45. It can happen. Sounds like a robust system. When you talk about the pre-apprenticeships, you know, traditionally for something to be considered a pre-apprenticeship, it has to have that connection to a registered apprenticeship program. And building trade programs have created their own curriculum and, and established their own pre-apprenticeships. But let's say an organization comes to you and uh, they're interested in providing just pre-apprenticeship. How would you connect them with a current registered apprenticeship program to make sure that that is a quality pre-apprenticeship program? What we like to do is establish a registered apprenticeship first. So if someone comes up to us and says, I, you know, I want to be here, I want to provide this pre-apprenticeship for these occupations. Okay, well, let's go to the employers first, the employers that we already have registered, and check with them and, you know, and offer this pre-apprenticeship to them. And if they're interested, then they can participate. And at the same time, we'll also look at other employers that don't have a registered apprenticeship and see if they would be interested in this pre-apprenticeship model and a registered apprenticeship model. So, in essence, if that situation comes up, we would look at the registered apprenticeships that are already there and establish and offer it as a um, a resource for additional apprentices if they want to check into it. It's up to the employer. They have to decide, but there has to be some one employer, at least one that has a registered apprenticeship in that occupation for that pre-apprenticeship before we'll even register it. Have you all in these youth and pre-apprenticeship programs, have you all been able to utilize WEOANI? I know you touched on it a little bit earlier. Yeah. Fortunately, we do have a couple employers 
one in the assisted living area for a certified nurse assistant. We've been able to establish that bridge with WILA, and they've been able to screen and provide potential apprentices for this employer, and in turn, been able to use WILA funds, such as OJT reimbursement, um, possibly some transportation assistance for those individuals. And then I have another employer who actually is in cybersecurity. And the interesting thing about this employer is that before last year, he would only hire veterans and only hire adult veterans. And, and instead, you know, for my security level, I want this type of maturity level and I want this type of background. And then last year, it's like, okay, I can't find enough veterans. I got to do something <laughs> else. So, so he has branched out. We've connected him to the local workforce development board who has provided him with not only youth, but adults and a pre-apprenticeship to provide him some pre-employment skills for this occupation. And then in turn, all the employer does is interview and hires who he chooses to go into the registered apprenticeship. Those are two examples right off the top. It involves both youth and adults, uh, WILA screening and assessing and providing potential apprentices, as well as WILA funds as to the employer and to the apprentice. Turning the corner here a little bit, Catherine, uh, we've talked about in-school youth and youth apprenticeship programs. Have you done anything to develop strategies to reach uh, opportunity youth or that out-of-school youth population? Well, we have, in this, specifically with those two employers that I mentioned, um, trying to reach more with the local workforce development boards and providing the workforce development boards with these employers who are interested. So in our outreach and in our conversations with the employers that we have registered or new registrations, we're making sure that they know that those resources are available. You know, you have uh, funds, federal funds that are available to assist you with training. Uh, they can come from, you know, for various resources and various needs, and you can use the use. So we're trying to bridge that together and letting the employer choose, you know, for the out-of-school and in-school use, and just let them choose who they want to be their apprentice, but utilizing the local workforce development boards as a resource for for the employer to to hire and it's hire some out of school and school use, but even uh, more importantly, the whole underrepresented population utilizing all those resources, and especially with the high unemployment now, you've got a lot of people who may be looking for changing in careers. So you've got youth and adults to choose from. Yes, I think that that is key. And so as we talk about the opportunity youth, though, I always think of opportunity youth kind of in, in two groups, your 16 and 19 year olds that they might be recent high school graduates or uh, even recent dropouts, but they're still kind of connected to the educational system. And so it's a little bit easier to reach those 16 mm -hmm. and 19 year olds. And then you have your 20 to 24 year olds who they're a couple of years post-graduation. They might have went to the community college and didn't finish. And, uh, you know, they're kind of starting into adulthood. And it's sometimes hard to 
uh, reach those 20 to 24 year olds. Yeah, uh, everybody's find them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everybody's grappling with this. Have you and your office thought of any ways to particularly advertise for, to these 20 to 24 year old opportunity youth? We've recently been able to uh, use the grant funds to hire a marketing company. And we're just getting that campaign off to, uh, or just kicked off, if you will. And we're hoping to try to reach some more of those, of those participants, of those potential apprentices for those as a resource. And we're doing a huge uh, social media campaign. And we're hoping to be able to reach them. And that's, that's what our plan is right now is trying to provide more outreach to those areas and to that population because, I mean, everybody's got a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that to us was like, well, let's try that in addition to, you know, other agencies and uh, we're even on our heart radio, uh, Pandora. We're trying to reach as many to let them know of the potential possibilities that are out there for both employers and apprentices. That sounds like it's going to be successful uh, for you all. And so, Catherine, I thank you for your time today and and for uh, giving this great insight. You all have a lot of good things going on in North Carolina. Is there anything that you would like to leave with us as final thoughts? I think there's just a lot of potential there. I know that that we're in a different situation with COVID-19 and everything, but I think there's a lot of potential with utilizing those that are unemployed now. And for those employers who are still, you know, they may be struggling, but they're still utilizing uh, employees and they're still interested in apprenticeship. We still have a lot of employers who are, who are looking for people to hire. Um, especially in IT. So I think there's a lot of potential here for registered apprenticeships, regardless of the economic situation that we're in right now. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off.